Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Uh, I pray that... Uh, the Lord has um, been gracious to you this week, that he has prepared your heart today for worship, to prepare your heart for um, the word of God proclaimed. I want to jump right into it today um, <clears throat> and maybe leave some time at the end, definitely leave some time at the end uh, for uh, some worship to generate, a, because I feel like today may generate a response. And so, no, I'm not preaching for an hour. We, we haven't altered things where I, I, can, uh, I can communicate you, with you for an hour. We'll, be, um, we'll just uh, rearrange some items here. But we're in the fifth week uh, of our series, Discovering the Disciplines that Change Lives. And if we are a church that believes in next steps in our lives with Christ, this series was designed to encourage you, to equip you, to give you the tools towards intentional growth. And so today, as we unpack today's topic, which is worship, I want us to take a look at what it looks like to lead a lifestyle of worship. Um, worship is one of those words that are uh, easily, easily defined, maybe, sometimes, but its application can be broad. Um, there's a lot of ways that worship manifests itself. Number one, it entails the gathering of believers, right? So a lot of times when people think of worship, we think of this, right? And uh, maybe a, a more narrower view of worship would be the first 15 minutes of today, and then, and then that's it, and we move on. But really, the worship gathering was always meant to be and to encompass prayer, the reading of the word, preaching, song, baptisms, holy communion, so when the body of Christ gathers together for corporate worship, that's what we're doing. Fellowship would be another one of those, on and on. It's not just limited to song. But also it's not just limited to a Sunday morning. It's also meant to, to transform and affect the way that we live our lives. You know, the gathering here isn't just meant for you to uh, come and to be to be filled and charged and sent off, while that, there are many benefits to that, and that's, that's a good piece, is to equip you, right? It's to equip you to, to, um, um, to almost give you a push uh, into, into the week where you are then c- sustained um, in the word of God, in prayer, with other believers throughout the week until you come back next week. Real worship is a lifestyle meant to enrich both our theology, our knowledge of God, and practice the experience of God. The essence of worship ought to blanket everything in our lives. It's not just one component in our lives. It ought to impact, affect everything of our lives. So as we begin today, I just want to spend some time talking about what worship looks like between Sunday to Sunday. What a life of worship looks like. I could have come up here, we can talk about um, the seven reasons why you should raise your hands, the seven reasons, the, you know, and uh, uncross your arms and put your coffee down and, and all, this, all the rhythms of like what it looks like to actually be engaged. But today I want to talk about the day-to-day and what it looks like. So let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, right now I pray for myself. Lord, I pray that you um, just allow me to concentrate on your word. Lord, you'd use me as a vessel, Lord, to speak to your people in grace and love and in truth. Lord, I pray for um, our time together today you would be in our midst and that Lord as we leave here today we would be filled that this would be a message of of hope of life giving um, qualities Lord that we can take into the day to day life 
in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> so today there's countless places that we could have turned to in scripture uh, for uh, just to land on and talk about worship, right? Uh, the, the Psalms are, are a great place. It's a huge chunk of our scripture dedicated to the highs and lows and how when we're experiencing those things, how to pray to God and how to respond to him. Um, it's, where, it's where God meets us. And, and so we learn so much in the Psalms. Um, but today, with the question, what does it mean to live a lifestyle of worship? Um, I've got a biblical truth followed by some biblical application that I want to share with you today. And so we're actually going to find ourselves uh, in Romans to start off with, Romans 12. And this will be our guiding, um, guiding scripture as, as, we, as we walk through this morning. It says, in view of God's mercy, <clears throat> I'll read this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay? So dedicated fully to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to understand the will of God, be fully dedicated to Him in worship Consecrate yourself only to him. It leads to mind transformation where you can then begin to discern God's will. Right here, Paul is saying that believers are to be fully dedicated them, to themselves in the part of the, the process of transformation, right? And so true and proper worship, or in some translations, it's service, the service of worship, serving yourself, serving of yourself, giving of yourself, manifests itself in the day-to-day. Paul's not talking about a Sunday morning gathering. You've been transformed, not of your old self, but you are now new. And so when this happens, it ought to affect every part of, uh, of your life, right? Every relationship, every interaction, every conversation, every curricular activity, every dis- business decision made, the way that we treat others, the way that we carry ourselves, um, the way that we give of ourselves, our entire body ought to be for Christ. Worship is a lifestyle. And when we allow it to become a lifestyle, it prepares us for the inevitable battles of life that we face. And so, the bulk of our passage today is in Daniel 3. We are going to Sunday school this morning. We're going to spend some time uh, in a great Sunday school story. And maybe... uh, Maybe, uh, maybe not a typical worship uh, sermon passage. So Daniel was, was a major prophet of the Old Testament, okay? And so it's an interesting book in the fact that the first six books of this Bible are uh, stories of God's faithfulness, of his wisdom being played out in the lives of Daniel or uh, the characters that we'll be discussing today. And then seven on is, is more has to do with visions, okay? So Daniel's, Daniel 3... Uh, theme is God's faithfulness towards us when we are faithful in worship. When we are faithful of giving of ourselves, being fully devoted as Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about. Okay? So here we have Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or most notably known as their translated Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? So let's give it up for Sunday school story today and let us begin. God, God uh, his, his people regularly find themselves, if you read the Old Testament, in the hands of, um, uh, they, they find themselves in exile. So this time they happen to be in the hands of the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, Daniel 2 kind of maybe sets up Daniel 3 in a little bit in the fact that the king's dream that was interpreted by Daniel, uh, that when Daniel informed the king that his rule would end, it would not last, and, and it would give way to another kingdom and then another kingdom. Um, many theologians believe that maybe Daniel 3 was a response to that where, where King Nebuchadnezzar then doubles down and, and we see this, this image of gold. And so let's start to, let's start to work through this today and, and hear this story. So King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold and summons leaders and officials to come and de- dedicate 
uh, this image, right? This includes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they assemble for the dedication of the image where the herald loudly proclaims nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the song, right, you are to what? Bow down and worship. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. And so soon the music played and all fell down and worshiped. All that he had been set up to do. At this time, some of the leaders came forward and denounced the Jews. They told the king, you have issued the order and everyone here um, hears the sound and they fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whatever... Uh, whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But here are some Jews that you have set over the affairs of your province in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. This infuriated the king, and so these three men were then brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the image of of gold that I have set up. You know, just a side note here, the, uh, the Jewish people who desired to live and were called to live set apart, right, for, for God. These were, these were his people. Um, they regularly found pressure all around to join in the cultures and, and, and to denounce the God or, or to, um, they, they found pressure to fit in regularly. They, they, were, um, they were challenged um, to at least trade in at least some of, of what they believed um, for a little bit of the world. And so they're, they're constantly being led uh, in this. And so here they are again, having to stand strong in their convictions on who the Lord says that he is. Now when you hear the sound of the music, the king says, fall down and worship the image I made. If you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. And so we, here we have Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. They have a decision to make, right? They, have to, they can bow down. They can save themselves. They, have, uh, they can use their own agency, their own pathway, their own ability. They still have that, right? They could, they could forego what the word of the Lord says. By the way, two of the commandments were violated, right? So you, have, you shall not have any other gods before me and idols, no, not creating any idols. So, so right away, they're challenged to violate two of these idols or they face death. So do they bow down and save themselves um, and maybe try to repent later and just say, hey, sorry God, weak moment, you know, uh, I'll try to do better next time. Or had the worship, had the, the consecration of their heart over the course of a lifetime through the course of an exile equipped them for this trial that they faced. I think you know the answer. So let's read. The three men replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God in whom we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. I love verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So here we go. Two things in their response. Number one, their assurance, their resolve in who God was. To the king's questions, the men essentially said, he may choose to save us. They don't even know, they know God's capable. They're just not even sure if he will. All they know is that they've dedicated themselves to him and that they've been transformed by him. How powerful is that? To know the capability of God and actually be at peace with what he chooses. See, when we worship him, it doesn't mean that we get our way all the time, even when it comes to life or death. When we serve him wholeheartedly, we know what he's capable of. We've seen it. We remember the faithfulness of God. But when we're pressed, we have to stand fast in his capability 
in the peace of what he can do and not in what we hope for. And so second, this shows evidence of their faith. But even if he doesn't, they trust God. They leave the outcome in his hands and they don't presume their own fate. God will do that. Their position is that of a servant. They've yielded themselves. They've already made this, this, this choice where they've just yielded themselves over. They've, they've chose not to be part of that culture. And so they're willing um, to stand in the consequences of that. Their position is that of a servant. It's in the Lord's hands, not their own. It's not even in the king's hands. And so Nebuchadnezzar, as you can imagine, is furious. So he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and, the, and commanded the strongest soldiers to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so these men were bound and thrown into the blazing fire. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames actually killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And so they've met their fate, seemingly dead end for these men. Their resolve and their commitment was to worship their God rather than an idol, no matter what the cost. These men bound up have come to the end of their own capacity to save themselves. They are completely in subjection to the king's decision. But I tell you, here in this moment, while all, all earthly hope was lost on them, it wasn't over. Right? And so we read on. All of a sudden, the king jumped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and that we threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And so three men came out of the fire, and all the royal advisors examined them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up even their lives. And so this is a response of men of whom if they wanted to keep God first, they actually had to sacrifice something. They were prepared to give of their lives. And still, rather than bowing down to the king in order to save themselves, they were willing to die if needed. Their allegiance was not split. Their steadfastness helped prepare them for the resolved response at hand. Their steadfastness in worship and in, in commitment to God throughout their lives had prepared them for this decision. So that way when they, when they did face a trial, they could boldly declare in the Lord's ability to save their physical body. And if not, they would still continue to serve him and to worship him only. And so maybe, maybe that's an unusual passage for a sermon on worship. Um, I don't think so. Because if anything, what this does is this shows the byproduct of worship. What worship can do on the backside. You see, all throughout their trial, they never lost hope. They never lost sight of their God. They stood steadfast in worship. And 
And so with that today, I want to tell you that worship leads to hope amid the trials of our life. Did you notice when God showed up? He didn't, why, why in the world didn't he just save him from the whole thing? Why didn't he just take him away, strike the king dead? Why did, they, why did he allow the king to, to, to move them through that? Have you ever wondered that? God showed up in the trial, in the fire. He took them all the way as a test of their faith in obedience to him, hope in him, worship to him alone. You see, throughout scripture, I want to remind you today that God's promise to the faithful is that he will be with us through the trials, right? He will be with us in the moments that we're down and out. That whether it's the very faith in Christ that leads us to these trials or it's just the circumstances, an unfortunate circumstance in life that leads us into these trials. What did he say? He says, I will be with you. It's the trials that exercise hope in worship. When trials come, they give us the opportunity to exercise this hope in worship. You see, worship and hope, they go hand in hand. And that's what, uh, that's a point of, of just something I want to just draw out today. If worship is the, is the response of, uh, of reverence or adoration to God, then hope is the confidence that leads us there. Hope is the, is the confidence that he can do it, right? We, we our, our basis of worship is the hope in a resurrected Savior, right? That's, 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 where, it, that's where it comes from. And so for these men, their hope was always in God. It was never in their own agency. It was never in their own ability to, to, to save themselves. Because their worship wasn't of themselves. They didn't worship their lives. They didn't worship their bodies. They worshiped God. And so their hope was on him. They hoped in what they worshiped and they worshiped into what they hoped for. These two things go hand in hand. They're circular. The things we hope for the most become the object of our affection, oftentimes our worship. It is the things that we hope for most, that we hope in, that become the object of our affection. Whether that's God, whether that's self, whether that's something else. You see, worship is simply to ascribe worth to something, to give value to it, okay? So that's where, where God and false idols come in. That's where the first and second commandments come in. What are you ascribing worth and value to? What is, the, what is that most important thing that when the rubber meets the road, if there are things happening simultaneously, uh, uh, an opportunity to, um, to be part of the kingdom, or an opportunity to take you away from the kingdom, what is it that you choose? That is what it means to be a lifestyle, to have a lifestyle of worship. Living a lifestyle of worship asks, what has the affection of your heart? What has the affection of your life? What is it that, that's on your mind constantly? Who does your world revolve around? There's a lot of people that are in your world, right? But who does it revolve around? Is it God? Is it yourself? Is it other things? What gives? What's the priority when it comes down to it? Is it God? 
or other things. It sounds silly because we don't think of worship this way, but that's what worship is lived out. You know, we come here, we, we share, we proclaim in the goodness, we sing in the names of Jesus, we, we say all these things that you're Lord of my life, you're Savior of my life, you've got me, I've got you, this is great. And then we go out and, and now it's time to live it, right? And now it's time to show it in the day to day. And now, and now we have a million different decisions throughout our week where we, where my question to myself is, God, if I say yes to this decision, does it draw me closer to you or does it take me away from you? And you can really ask that to anything in your, in your life. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's some organizations that I'm a part of and I have a lot of fun being a part of them. And... Um, in my mentality, my whole thought process going into uh, serving in these organizations because they're not Christian organizations is I'm going to bring the light of Christ into this. And so every time I leave, I say, how did I share Jesus in that? How did I show Jesus? How did I allow Jesus to be shown in that? And you can do the same thing with your work. You can do the same thing with your household. A lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of worship revolve around Christ where our life is no longer, no longer our own in 1918 a young 12 year old boy born into a, a large German family would answer the call to pastoral ministry by age 21 he would go on to complete his doctor of theology degree in Berlin. In 1930, still too young to be ordained, by now 24 years old, he went to the United States for postgraduate study, teaching and fellowship in New York City where he made significant friendships and underwent life-changing experiences ministering among the poor of Harlem. He later returned to Germany and ministered around Europe as Nazis rose to power and things escalated. He helped to train pastors and helped to lead an underground seminary for illegal pastors of the confessing church, all as a committed pacifist opposed to the Nazi regime. He would never swear an oath to Hitler or fight in his army, even though he knew refusal to do so was potentially a capital offense. He worried most about the consequences his refusing military service would, would have for the confessing church. And in June of 1939, as World War II seemed imminent, he moved to the United States, fleeing from Germany. Two weeks later, he changed his mind, decided to return to Germany. It was then that he wrote his American friend this. I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this same of this time with my people Christians Christians in Germany will have to face a terrible alternative of either willing to defeat their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive or willing to for the victory that their nation and, and thereby destroying their civilization I know which of these alternatives I must choose but I cannot make that choice from security what testimony do I have if I'm not willing to stand? On the 9th of April, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the 39-year-old pastor theologian, was ex executed for his work in the church. I believe that Bonhoeffer understood the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood. That lives of worship, lives living out a lifestyle of worship means that my life is no longer my own anymore. 
that I have to be willing to die for the cause if asked. And in the meantime, live out to my best of my ability, Christ in me. When we allow worship to become a lifestyle, it prepares us for the inevitable battles of life that we will face. It's the trials of life that continue to refine us each and every day, giving of ourselves more fully to him. Do I handle this on my own? Do I give it over to God? Handle it on my own, give it to God. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's what a true and proper worship looks like. So yes, it starts here. It starts in this room. Surely let us not forgo meeting together regularly. The world's hard enough as it is. Why do we forego this? This is to equip you, O people of God, for the work of the kingdom. The work's out there. We need this they need us how are you salt how are you light how do you live a lifestyle of worship as a pastor it's easy to do religious things in the name of Jesus I've gotten very good at it I can sing, I can lead a band. I'm not nervous talking in front of people. It can be easy to fake. In the past 12 or 13 years, there's seasons. Where it's just felt like I've gone through the motions. Like my mind and my heart, maybe they weren't engaged. Just executing a job, checking it off the list. I did my job for the week. My mind and my heart, they weren't engaged. And it's because of what I was feeding it during the week. What am I spending my time on? How do I, what are the things that I allow myself to uh, become distracted with? For me, things like politics or sports, or maybe for you, social media, just vegging out, binging on shows. How does that lead to true and proper worship? There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But where's the balance in that? There's a popular passage in Deuteronomy 6. Real quick as we close. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts, to impress them upon your children, right? We make this about the kids. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down. This is about us. This is about us. We have a generation to begin to, but it starts with us. How are we training our kids to think? Is that stuff on my mind? Because it has to be on mine for me to say it. That's a lifestyle of worship. Tie these symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames. Everywhere you look, allow it to be on your mind. Because if not, the world takes a foothold. I really pray that you see that this, when we come together, I pray you anticipate this time. That it's just like, I just gotta make it to Sunday where I'm with other believers that I can just let it go. 
I pray that this isn't just a task, that it's not just a chore, that you see it, that the Lord allows you to see it as you seek him. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's what leads to transformation of your mind, your heart. That is your true and proper worship, friends. Can we stand together today? Can we ask God today to lead us to this place? Can we ask him today to do a work in us that only he can do? We simply need to yield of ourselves, give him the time of day, allow him to do the work in us. Father in heaven, as we worship you, Father, pray we see it as a privilege. We get to come before you on this day, proclaiming the truth of who you are so that when trials come, We have the assurance of hope and that we can worship you in that confidence, in that hope that it is you who strengthens, you who equips, you who supplies. We lay down our lives willing to die to ourselves, willing to die physically if that's what it takes. Lord, I pray that that would be me. I have no idea. Lord, you supply, you equip, and we worship you in response. It is our response to all that you've done, all that you've said, all that you continue to do. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. I count on one. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same god who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes i will lift you high in the lowest valley
Just one word, you call the storm that surrounds me on you. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. And just one touch, my eyes are open to see my heart can't help but believe there's nothing that our god can't do there's not a mountain that he can move oh praise the name that makes a way there's nothing that our god can't do in just one word you hear what's broken inside me. In just one word, bring you revive every dream. He is faithful. In just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. In just one touch. My eyes are open to see, my heart can't help but believe, there's nothing that our God can't do. 
even in this building and in this body. So, as you look, we've got a couple things going on. Deer trip, fundraiser, pulled pork dinner, next Sunday, right, $10 a meal, no pre-sale, all right? We've got 26 people going to the Dominican Republic next year. How cool is that? Started with just a couple, started with a teenager, now we got 26 going. What do you think that's going to turn into the year after? And the year after? He's moving, people. Joy group. You wise people. Not old people, wise people. Chili cook-off. October 22nd, 6 p.m. Ben said he's already going to make his hair gray, try to sneak in there a little bit. Upward basketball and cheerleading. Guys, this is one of the largest community events NAPNAS holds. 192 volunteer hours needed. And I'd say that's on the downside, right? That, that, that's on the downside, 192. We see about 400 people walk through this building every week. If all of us just take one hour Dude, we're, we're killing it. 192 man hours after the new year. Sign up, refs, coaches, concessions, right? We're still moving. We're going to the DR, but we're still moving here, guys, all right? Just a reminder, October 31st, that's five Sundays in October, people. Five Sundays, we're all in here together. Children, parents, we're going to have fun. Something else I wanted to uh, kind of just mention, it's not on your bulletin. You know, we have Father's Day, we have Mother's Day. Heck, even Christmas is only celebrated once, one day a year. Somehow pastors get a whole month. 
It's October, Pastor Appreciation Month. You know, right now as a church, we're, we're kind of in a transition, right? Still feeling maybe the pain of, of watching the Bulk family move on. You know, in our district alone, there's 11 churches without lead pastors right now. As part of your board, I've learned a lot of what it means to begin that search, to go through that process, to be unified in a body. You guys all participated in a, in a survey. I thank you for that. We are not hiding the results, all right? Those results will get to you. But how cool, how blessed are we that even when we lose one of our own, we got two. We got two pastors willing to take the helm. We have not skipped the beat. We are moving. We got a redhead up here preaching now. I mean, there is a God. So many of you have reached out. You've either reached out to a staff member or a board member asking how can you show appreciation to our pastors? We got a list printed out on the connection. Send it out there. 50 ways how to appreciate your pastor this month, all right? Go out there, take one of those lists, show our pastor some love, all right? Show all of our staff some love, all right? The workload's been divided. It's great, all right? And for those of you who are eternally confused right now, I am not Justin, all right? I am not Pastor Justin. This is your warning. If you come up to me and give me a gift card, I'm not giving it to Justin, all right? That's your own fault. All right? So let's close. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. May you experience worship daily and never lose hope in the one who gave us his son. Go, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.